HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi, and welcome to The Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. 3 p.m. on Tuesday, uh, taping in the backyard, Stevedore Shipping Container Studio at Roberta'sPizza.com. Come check it out in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Um, I'd like to thank, right off the bat, Hearst Ranch for sponsoring the show. They're the nation's largest single supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef since 1865. The Hearst family has raised cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of the Central California coast. The result, beef with extraordinary flavor that's as memorable and natural as the surrounding landscape. For more info, go to hearstranch.com. Today's episode, a little bit about uh, familiar roots, about family, about uh, coming from another land and reinterpreting the idea of your cuisine. I have uh, Jacques Gautier and his father, Maximilian, uh, the show. Palo Santo is uh, their restaurant. They actually own uh, and live in the apartment that uh, houses palosanto.us, the website, in Park Slope between 4th and 5th Avenues. Um, what, I, what I found fascinating is right when Palo Santo opened, there was a lot of condominium construction and um, a smaller renaissance between the avenues of four and five in Park Slope. And nothing much was going on there other than these large erected buildings and people moving in. Well, Jacques took that as impetus to not only open up a restaurant, but to find inspiration in building material. Um, What year did Palo Santo actually open up? We opened up in uh, 2006. It took me about a year and a half to get uh, the construction done because I'm a real DIY uh, DIY guy. It's true. Like Uh, DIY... Tuity, not to use all those acronyms, but uh, if you go into this place, you see everything is completely handcrafted, right? Yeah, the the chairs, uh, the tables, uh, everything, everything that we could uh, do ourselves, uh, we we did it. 
and for the most part, the uh, materials were uh, salvaged. Uh, you were talking about the condo buildings that went in over on Fourth uh, Avenue, and before those condo buildings uh, went in, they had to tear down the old warehouses and factories that were uh, on Fourth Avenue. And we just went over with wheelbarrows and hand trucks <laughs> and uh, just you know went went to town. It was did, like a shopping spree. Yeah, did Maximilian, you helped pick up some of this material with your son, yes? Yes. Yeah. Did Did anyone question you guys going down, you know, to Fourth Avenue, picking up a whole bunch of scraps with wheelbarrows about you know what you were going to do with this? Or? They were just looking at us. That's all. <laughs> yeah, no, no, nobody really cared, you know. And the uh, demolition uh, guys were happy to have it taken away because that was you know just uh, some material that they didn't have to throw away. Oh, yeah, free, the stuff, free labor. Uh, yeah, the stuff goes into uh, a landfill. They pay for these materials to be taken away and then pay for them to be uh, thrown into a landfill, and these are usable materials. Yeah, and so you guys built this restaurant on the ground floor of the apartment, but when did you actually move into the apartment uh, in Park Slope? I, I actually I moved into the building a little while before the restaurant uh, opened up. My lease was up. I was I was living over in uh, Crown Heights, and my lease was up, so I had to move. And for a few months, I actually lived uh, in a hammock that was uh, in, the <laughs> <laughs> in paradise. In but you know, you do what you do. What you got to do, you know. Yeah. And Maximil, where were you living prior to? Oh, I was living in Washington since fifty-two years. I'm living there then. I, Jacques is my favorite son, <laughs> and I decided I would always wanted to live with him. Yeah. Well, uh, Maximilian also has a very inspiring and illustrious past. Um, originally being born in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, uh, spending some time in Cuba, and then coming to Washington, D.C., but working in diplomacy for... The majority of Latin America, would you say? Yeah, it's from the. I was working for the Organization of American States, which is a regional organization for United Nations, and there I was in charge of the French program in the through the Voice of America every Sunday, what's going on in America, and uh, I was traveling also with the Commission of Human Rights all Latin America, and I travel also sometimes with. Jacques, that's where he went to many restaurants in yeah. Latin America to, to learn what they are doing. And, uh, he, you know, his uh, concept was to pick up what is the best on all those recipes. Yeah. And he stays, for example, in Uruguay, he stayed there working for a vineyard where the, the maid, the, the make the, the wine, you know. And then he, he is that really not those kind of wines? Yeah, it's yeah. Not, yeah uh, my friend Pablo's uh, winery, the Viñedo de los Vientos, uh, I you know, visited visited there, and uh, actually, I spent more time in uh, Argentina working at a winery at, um, in Mendoza, Viñal Cerno. Spent a whole summer there, uh, learning about wines. Yeah. yeah, and Maximilian, did you have a fascination with food too while traveling, or was that kind of spawned once Jacques started coming on the trips with you? Yes, yes, I, I really I was more interested than ever when because I saw the way he. He was interested uh, on the food, you yeah. know, when you want to go to the kitchen, how to cut the head of the chicken. And, <laughs> and uh, I said, oh, my God. What? Because he was also a, an artist. He was painting. I never encouraged him to be, a, you know, an artist because I know the artist yeah. is after the death. They know yeah. if they were good or not. <laughs> so he became a chef, so he, he wouldn't have to be chef. a starving artist. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. A well-fed one. Um, yeah. But uh, so you traveled all amongst Latin America, and what was interesting is that Jacques was saying uh, before that a lot of people think of Palo Santo as a 
Latin beast. Yeah, ask him Latin where you get the, the, the name for Palo Santo. Oh, yeah. Ask him. <laughs> where did you get the name uh, for Palo Santo? Yeah, you know, I, I thought of a few different names, and uh, after a little while, I finally came up with one that hadn't uh, been used, or I couldn't find a place that had been used. Palo Santo is a tree in uh, that grows uh, throughout Latin America. The wood is used uh, in um, in uh, um, you know for spiritual purposes as a uh, natural, um, uh, you know, just burned sort of like uh the native americans would in the great plains in the in the states burn sagewood yeah uh, or sagebrush uh palo santo's burned to to clear the air and to cleanse the air and so there's a lot of it's a it's a wood but it has a lot of uh spiritual properties to it yeah and also um it's kind of a play on words too because when you say palo santo uh is uh what's said before giving an offering to the saints you know para los santos you know say but if you say it fast it's palo santo and uh, being that Palo Santo was that building uh, was uh, once uh, re- you know religious uh, social club type of place yeah. where people had religious gatherings, I wanted to um, in some way kind of uh, pay homage to that uh, in the name, and so it's you know the name that had a lot of a lot of means. I think any any good name uh, for you know a business or a band or a restaurant or something like that, it's got to have uh, a lot of meanings on a lot of different levels. Yeah. Yeah. and and with it encompassing all of uh, Latin American cuisine and ideals. Um, do, do people get mixed up on the concept that, you know, your restaurant being pan-Latin is just kind of a mudded idea rather than just uh, the best of the best from your travels? Yeah, I, I, I've seen that sometimes uh, there's a bit of confusion uh, with, with our concept. Our concept is, uh, it's been labeled pan-Latin when we uh, got reviewed in the Times and in other places. Uh, I always called it eclectic Latin. Uh, it's as difficult for me to uh, put our um, our style or you know our uh, the nationality of our cuisine into uh, one word or into you know a compound word as uh, it's 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 equally as difficult uh, for me to put uh, my own heritage into into you know that word or a compound word like that. My mom's uh, from the states from uh, Delaware my uh, dad you know like you said is uh, from the Caribbean and we have a lot of family spread out uh, in a lot of different a lot of different islands and a lot of different places and so for me the cuisine that uh, we're cooking the pan Latin cuisine is less of an unnatural fusion and more of a genuine ethnic cuisine for us yeah and Maximil what is one of your favorite menu items at Palo Santo Oh well, there is one one dessert he make. He call it uh, dessert tandudun. It was a dessert uh, he <laughs> tastes he, when he visit my aunt, you know. And uh, after that, well, I really like like it's, everything in Palo Santo. I, 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 I should, I should say, uh, as a father should. And he, he's, he's known for having a, a, a bit of a sweet tooth. And yeah. the dessert that he's talking about, it's uh, coconut ice cream with toasted coconut on top. Uh, his his aunt and his, his godmother uh, Tante Dune, uh, she is she really loves to cook. She's and she's a really great cook. And uh, as a kid, when uh, we would go down to uh, to Petronville where she lives in Haiti and uh, visit, uh, really uh, had you know a great impression on on me uh, seeing her cook. Uh, like he said, you know, like he talked about uh, starting with the live chickens and the fresh ingredients and and coconuts uh, was one thing that she started with these uh, fresh dried coconuts. And I watched her break them open 
shave them, uh, you know, pe- peel them and then uh, shred them and then toast them with a little bit of uh, turbinado sugar in a pan. And that was something as a kid, uh, coconut, I knew coconut as, uh, you know, I mean, I, I liked cooking as a kid, but the ingredients that I could get at the grocery store, coconut was was in a bag. Yeah. It, was, it was shredded. Uh, it was, it you know. was brown and hairy, and yeah. Uh, no, not uh, yeah. I mean, the ones that the ones that would get in the store, you know, it was just it was just white coconut shredded in a bag. Yeah. We got like a Mounds bar or something like that. That's how <laughs> I knew coconut. Uh, I, I had never seen you know real coconuts, and I'd never seen them being used in that way. Um, w- prior to you know being on air Jacques and I were talking about reinterpreting uh, dishes and kind of moving ingredients into uh, a, a local sustainable nature um, an example is the potato gratin uh, Jacques was saying you know traditionally the potato or pollen stuff and well um, you know it's potatoes cream some spices but a Latin American uh, idea of that was reinterpreted using um, coyote, uh, chayote uh, allspice um, and coconut milk. What are some of the other, you know, dishes that are based in one region that you've reinterpreted with Latin uh, flair? Well, you know, it gets a, it gets a little bit complicated uh, here because then now some of these dishes that uh, might have been, uh, for example, with a, a potato gratin that you know might have been a traditional French dish that was reinterpreted with local ingredients in the Caribbean. Um, now we are reinterpreting uh, that recipe again and making it with uh, what we get at the uh, green market. And so uh, we might make that dish with a few different types of uh, sweet potatoes that we got at the green market. Uh, we do use, I will say that we do use uh, some uh, Latin American ingredients that are imported, avocados and coconuts and, and plantains. But uh, as much as possible, and probably about, you know, that equals about half of the, the produce that we're using, it comes from the green market. And um, this is perfect lead into where does another large portion of your produce come from? Oh, well, we do get some uh, also, yeah, we, we grow a lot of our own uh, vegetables too. Uh, up on the on the rooftop, we've got a rooftop uh, garden, and uh, in the summertime, spring, summer, and fall, I guess three seasons out of the year, uh, the majority of our salad greens are grown up there. Uh, we've got tomatoes, eggplants, and a number of other different vegetables that we grow cool. up there. But you're also growing a couple kind of more traditional Latin ingredients like papalo um, yeah. that aren't necessarily you know impossible to find here, but are harder uh, to source in the green market, etc. Yeah, and to get them fresh, they're very difficult. Uh, so there are a few different uh, Mexican ingredients, uh, um, like papalo and uh, tomatillos, where you can get tomatillos uh, pretty readily, uh, you know, they're readily available. Uh, but the tomatillos you're going to get in the store or from a distributor, they're going to be these larger you know, kind of bland green tomatillos. And the tomatillos we grow on the rooftop that we use for our rooftop salsa, they're actually purple. They're like purple or yeah. spotted, you know, all different colors and different sizes. You know, they're, they're not like these uniform, large green ones. Now, Maximilian, what uh, floor do you live on in the apartment? The third floor, the top floor. So you Just hear Jacques walking around when he's picking oh, vegetables all oh, the yes. time? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, do you then off- I go up there also looking at him. Yeah. I mean, it's an amazing vista, too, if Jacques yes. is nice enough to allow you to come and That's see right. the view. It you know, is on the top of 
this row house of brownstones and Park right. Slope, but you know, you see the East River, you see the skyline of New yes. York, and it's quite majestic. It's a uh, quite yes. quite a sight to see. Um, did you growing up have a garden, uh, or well, were you kind of traveling about so much that you saw you know produce in its natural settings? Well, yes, yes. So yeah, it, it was just this idea that you had to, you know, create his, this. His uh, his godmother we, we talked about briefly, uh, Tante Dun. Uh, she always had a vegetable garden, and one of the things that she would grow that I remember the most were, were the hot peppers. Uh, she would grow Scotch bonnet peppers, and they were so spicy. And as a kid coming uh, from from DC, I, I had never had anything anywhere near as spicy as as that. And the yeah. first time I had one of those, I was just I didn't believe uh, I didn't believe them when they told me that it was spicy and that I shouldn't eat it. And so I, I was you know a stubborn kid. I popped one in my mouth and I spent the rest of the afternoon uh, crying in the bathroom trying to wash it out of my eyes. <laughs> uh, don't worry if you go to Palo Santo, uh, Jacques will play nice. We're gonna we're gonna take a quick break and come back and talk a little bit more about uh, Jacques' artistic past, um, about some more ingredients and meals that he's made out of his rooftop garden, and you know what's uh, in the future for Palo Santo in general. Here's Michael Harlan Turkel. You're listening to the food scene on Heritage Radio. Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Jacques and Maximilian Gautier, uh, chef owner and father of chef owner, uh, palosanto.us, a restaurant in Park Slope serving, uh, serving pan Latin food. And we were just talking a little bit about, you know, Maximilian's background growing up uh, in, you know, Haiti, traveling to Cuba, doing diplomacy for most of Latin America, and Jacques, uh, you know, traveling with his father and learning a lot about food and culture that way but there are still some things that you can't necessarily get in new york so i could just mention things like avocados plantains but um maximilian what are some other ingredients or dishes you've had on your travels that you know you don't see here in the states and that you'd hope for jacques to possibly introduce at the restaurant or try to grow on the roof 
Well, it's uh, in Bolivia, in uh, a lot of in many other other countries. Of there are a lot of fruits I know that whenever I've traveled with you, things like uh, the cherimoya, yes, cherimoya, and uh, special types of you know mangoes or papayas or things like that that are very difficult to find here. So fine. Even this uh, drink we call. Uh, Flor de Jamaica. Yeah, the Flor de Jamaica. You can you can get that dried, but you can't get it fresh. Yeah, what uh, what exactly is it? I, I actually, so I have a plant growing now that I that I was finally able to grow from seed. It's outside. It's very similar to hibiscus, but the flowers are smaller and tighter. They don't have as beautiful blooms. They're smaller and tighter, uh, but they're uh, very flavorful. Um, it's called sorrel. Uh, yeah, like they I see in Crown Heights, you know, people yeah, serving yeah, yeah, sorrel, exactly. a deep red. Not to be confused with the English sorrel, which is a green leafy vegetable. Yeah. Uh, but this, this sorrel is, uh, is a red flower that's uh, used. And you know, he, he drinks that a lot. We make it uh, from uh, dried flowers. And who knows if uh, this plant that I'm growing is able to uh, flower maybe next year, uh, we'll be making it with fresh ones. That's, that's awesome. That's, are there any other ingredients, fruits, vegetables that... You're hoping they either source here that you've seen in your travels or aren't able, uh, you know, hoping to grow? I, I don't even know where, where to start, <laughs> you know. But uh, unfortunately, most of them, uh, they just won't grow uh, here. They, they won't. Uh, that's why we've had to uh, reinterpret a lot of, uh, a lot of the recipes uh, at Palo Santo with uh, local ingredients. Uh, there are a lot of things, a lot of interesting uh, ingredients that we can find locally. Uh, that that we use. Uh, this is uh, one reason why uh, we deal with the farmers market, and uh, we deal specifically with uh, actually a, a few different uh, Latin American farmers who uh, you know have uh, local farms and sell their uh, produce and uh, produce and meat and you know, poultry and eggs and other things at the farmers market. Uh, for example, the the teos. Um, Nestor and Alejandra Teo, they have a farm, uh, uh, Teo's Green Farm up in uh, Red Hook. Which everyone pronounces as Telos, yes. Telos, yeah. yes. <laughs> and so their farm up in uh, Red Hook, they have uh, most of the, mostly eggs, you know, they have laying hens. Uh, they'll bring us the laying hens, uh, you know, after, uh, they'll kill the laying hens after uh, they've passed, you know, the, the point of... Uh, they, when they get older, they're less productive, uh, and so we'll stew the the laying hens. And one thing that's really interesting that they come with is they come with the unlaid eggs. So the unlaid eggs, along with the other organ meats, uh, we use those. Uh, we like to make use of, of of everything. You know, it's our philosophy is to use every part of the animal. And this is something that's really interesting that uh, you would never find in an American supermarket. You'd never find this, you know, in a Purdue chicken, uh, the the unlaid eggs. Uh, but it's something that's very common in uh, Latin America to sell the laying hens with their unlaid eggs. Excellent. And is that part of your anticuchos that you have on the menu? We use the uh, hearts and livers for the anticuchos uh, when we make anticucho de gallina. Um, but the unlaid eggs we actually throw into a stew or soup. Uh, we'll make uh, caldo de gallina or some other type of uh, stewed uh, chicken dish, a braised chicken dish, uh, with the hens, and then throw the eggs in at the last minute so they just kind of poach lightly. See, it's, ama- it's amazing to see this creativity at work. Jacques just kind of go uh, a stream of consciousness. And Maximilian, you mentioned that Jacques, you know, 
yeah was a very creative child but also yes. had arts in his well, blood before i forget yeah. does you ask jack about uh, what he does with the rabbits he has on his garden oh, <laughs> we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna save those rabbits for last because that's a special little one um but at first i just wanted to kind of uh, explore the idea of yes. you know his arts background you said that you know he worked in you know the arts but what oh, medium yes. uh, did he paint did he draw oh, he paint a lot he paint a lot you see And uh, what I like him, there is one painting I like a lot, a big painting he made. I have it in my apartment. I carry it every place I move. It's uh, it's uh, roots of a big tree in the Caribbean. And uh, he has, uh, to be short, he has on the top of the painting, you know, it's he show you a lot of uh, uh, roots of the big tree. And he, he put the sign, you can forget. You can, f- you can forget you, your roots, but your you roots. You can forget your roots, but the roots will never forget you. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think rings true of not only the restaurant and the cuisine uh, as well. Because when you walk into that restaurant too, uh, the, the back, the dining room, um, there are similar kind of paintings and ideas there with the wood with the natural structure of the bricks and just the, yes. the inlay of the tables. Um, yes. Um, how, how did you specifically do those tables too? Um, because they're, they're uh, quite a sight. Oh, people are fascinated. Yeah. But the tables, there is a woman who came, you want to buy all the, the tables. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're made uh, with, the, the wood that they're made with is all uh, reclaimed wood. Uh, most of them are made with old doors and the doors uh, kind of have, you know, a natural uh, pocket in them when you, when you lay them flat. And we filled those uh, with uh, different uh, artifacts and things that uh, most, mostly bits and pieces uh, from the demolition, nails and you know other broken tiles and other things like that uh, that we collected when we were uh, you know uh, doing the demolition to to rebuild the the restaurant. And then uh, on top of all of those uh, different you know odds and ends and bits and pieces, we put uh, layers of Um, a polymer resin. It comes in two parts. You mix it together, and it hardens, and it's like you know, it looks like glass. Yeah, it, they're, they're awesome. They're kind of like shadow boxes, but that you get to eat a, off of, which is a <laughs> you know a reliquary of you know how Palo Santo came to be. Um, now we're going to touch on those lovely rabbits. I unfortunately was uh, unavailable for Jacques' <laughs> most recent um, what I've heard rave dinner. Where he's been growing a couple rabbits on the rooftop. Um, how many did you have? You want everything to be fresh. Yeah, well, you know, be- I started off with two, and then I had uh, six, and then I had eight. And <laughs> so it's true back. what they say about rabbits. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's <laughs> a stereotype, but it's true. Yeah. Now I'm back to four. Uh, I a few years ago I, I uh, got into uh, my head that I wanted to. Um, I needed to have, you know, some reason why I was growing stuff on the rooftop and some, you know, ultimate goal. Uh, and so I wanted to create a series of meals made entirely of homegrown ingredients. And the first one, uh, we, uh, held, uh, a few weeks ago, um, we had about 20 people, uh, we fed, fed 20 people. Uh, Garrett Oliver from the Brooklyn Brewery was there. He brought some uh, beers that, you know, local beer made in, in Brooklyn and uh, Edible Brooklyn. Uh, you know, the uh, editors and uh, uh, writers from Edible Brooklyn were present. 
and we made a seven-course meal entirely from homegrown ingredients. Uh, there were a few things, obviously, olive oil, salt, yeah. and maybe a, a little bit of breadcrumbs or something like that. But for the most part, uh, it was all homegrown ingredients, all of the vegetables and all the protein. In this case, the protein were uh, the, the rabbits were the only uh, protein that we had. And so, you know, an interesting thing I should I should say, uh, uh, I had made a blog entry of uh, like the week before this dinner, kind of explaining it and talking about it. And I actually uh, was a vegetarian for a long time and I went to a vegetarian cooking school. And some people might think uh, of this as uh, something a bit hypocritical for somebody who used to be a vegetarian. But for me, I... I really feel now what I'm doing is, is not on the complete opposite end of uh, the uh, culinary spectrum. I think that I've found uh, some I've found some middle ground. Uh, we get our um, you know all of our pork, for example, we get from Heritage Foods. Uh, we get uh, most of our fish from uh, sea to table, uh, which you know gets local fish, uh, line caught fish from uh, Montauk. And we're very uh, conscious of uh, the sourcing of our ingredients and especially the proteins. So I haven't gone from being a vegetarian to, you know, a completely, uh, you know, callous eater with a neglect for any type of uh, morality when it comes to my eating. Uh, I've uh, found some compromise by uh, sourcing uh, responsibly and sustainably produced uh, ingredients. And by raising my own rabbits i really uh tested my my own ability to uh raise a rabbit humanely and to then slaughter and uh, and butcher that rabbit and then eat it and i feel that the more people know about where their food comes from and the closer they are to the source of their food the more respect they'll have uh, for that food and in turn the more respect they'll have for the animals when the animals are hidden in, far away from uh, civilization and slaughtered in, you know, a, a dark, you know, hidden uh, slaughterhouse and nobody is uh, present to, to see, uh, to witness any, you know, cruelty or inhumanity that, that may take place, it's more likely to take place. When you, you watch what's going on and people work with transparency, then uh, you're more likely to uh, stop what, what was the quote on the painting again? Um, you can forget <laughs> your roots, but your roots never forget you, I think. Rings true for this situation, very much so. Um, are you ever hoping to grow other proteins on the roof? I mean, cattle seems oh, yeah. like a far cry in brownstone. Yeah, if, I had, if, I had a larger, if I had a larger roof, you know, maybe uh, you know the next restaurant I have, maybe I'll look for a place with larger roof. Uh, Hy- hydroponic more, fish? Yeah, I mean, more, yeah, more air you know, I basically have uh, the, the rooftop on Palo Santo is basically at its uh, limit. Uh, we hope that uh, next year we'll be able to maybe do two or three different uh, meals made entirely of rooftop ingredients. Uh, this, of course, you know, it's it's not, I should say, it's not something that we offer to the general public, unfortunately. Uh, I can't put homegrown, home-raised rabbits on the menu. Uh, this is something that we did, you know, for special yeah. uh, special dinner. Maybe someday you can. Maybe this yeah, is a forum yeah. to start the bureaucracy going and opening up those doors. It would, it would, be, it would be nice to be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so many people have the opportunity to be able to grow their own vegetables and, uh, you know, be able to share that in restaurants. Uh, a lot of people have herb gardens, this, that, but I think you're onto something with yeah. uh, growing your own protein. Definitely the, the, the herbs, the vegetables, the salad greens, all of those things uh, we grow and we use in the restaurant. Uh, maybe eventually we'll be able to put the rabbits on the menu also, uh, you know. 
Excellent. Fantastic. If you've never been to Palo Santo, please do. Um, not just for its Pan-Latin experience, but for seeing where these roots come from, from forging for materials, uh, the actual foundation and structure of the place, to the ideas and inspiration uh, that come from Jacques, Jacques' travels, Maximilian's uh, diplomacy, and um, you know, be part of the family. Come there and enjoy. Um, I hope you've been enjoying this show. It was kind of about the art of forging, the art of family, the art of establishing yourself from your familiar roots. And uh, hope you join us next Tuesday at 3 p.m. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Just want to thank our sponsor again, Hearst Ranch. Go to HearstRanch.com for more info. Our engineer, Jack Inslee, or uh, I mean... Our producer, Jack Ainsley, our engineer, Nat Wiener. Got to get that straight. They're the guys that control uh, you know, how this radio station runs, operates sound. But I uh, hope you join us again Tuesday, 3 p.m. And, hey, stop by for a pizza, robertaspizza.com. Not a bad place to uh, spend an afternoon. Cheers. Cheers.